Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. You, you have to wonder if maybe they feared their power. Maybe that's why they went to such extremes. I mean, they probably didn't see the kind of thing where with just a word, someone could take control over the supernatural, even go against an evil spirit. And so when you see something like that, you probably ask the question, what other powers do they have? What could this mean to me? So maybe that's why when they didn't understand what was happening, they went to such extreme measures. These two men were beaten. They were beaten with the Roman rod, which was a symbol of justice and of power, but these were sticks kind of bundled together to form this rod that were used by individuals who had been trained very uh, specifically on how to beat and bruise. And so they were stripped and they were bleeding and then they were put in the inner cell, not just a prison cell in this jail in the city of Philippi. They were placed in a part that would be highly confined. It was the inner, it was the central cell. It would be a place that would be dark, no light in there. It would be hot, in part because of all the crammed bodies that would be in there. And as a result of this, without any regards for the things that you and I might think of just as, as, as items of normal living, it would be filthy inside of there. And as if this wasn't enough, they would go to desperate measures. They would put their feet in stocks. These weren't just things that were designed to restrain them. They were most likely designed to torture them because they would add some extra holes in the way that your legs would go into these places so that you would be in an awkward position that would make it painful just for you to even try to get comfortable. And how do you get comfortable when you're bleeding and bruised after a situation like that and all that filth? This was a moment of pain and probably torture in many ways for them. And then it comes to midnight. Midnight is, is not customarily an hour for prayer in the first century. And most people probably in the first century, by the time you got to midnight, they were well asleep at this time. And that's when Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 began to pray out loud. And it's when they began to sing audibly their praises to God, not quietly, but so much so to the point that the Bible actually records that the other people who are around them could hear them praying and praising. Can you imagine this? They've been asleep for some time, and now all of a sudden the two newcomers decide it's time to have a concert. You like it when your neighbors sing at midnight, don't you? Some people were probably pretty irritated by this whole thing. Others of them probably found a moment of peace in the midst of the chaos that they were in. It was a praise service in a prison cell. It was a worship time in the worst of times. And it was in that moment that God did something, and this is the word we're gonna look at today. It was in that moment that God did something powerful. We've been looking at the subject of worship last week, this week, based off of this story in Acts chapter 16. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there with me if you would, please. Acts chapter 16, we've been working our way through this New Testament book of Acts. When we came to this subject of worship last week, we took a detour from the New Testament back into the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and we looked at this story that had at its, at its heart worship, but it wasn't powerful worship. It was kind of an illegitimate, unhealthy, what we called dangerous 
worship because it was worship that allowed God to just become commonplace. It became selfish. It was just empty noise. It was worship where someone was using God just as a means to get to an end. And it caused us to really realize that our worship, when we, when we actually worship God, what we're doing is not focused on ourselves. It's not focused just on what we can get from God. And we looked at this point last week, which I think is really important as we step into this week's message, that we must desire the presence of God more than the power of God. There can be times when we look at God just for what we can get from him, when actually we need to realize it's about him being with us, that we need to desire the presence of God more than the power of God. And so in contrast to what we looked at last week, today we're gonna look at the subject of worship again, but we're gonna look at it in a way that is healthy and maybe even beyond healthy. How do we have worship that is powerful, that makes a difference, that brings life change to those of us who are worshipers? Good for us to start with kind of a, a definition of terms. What do we mean when we talk about worship? Worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. So anything that you make a deity, anything that you exalt in your life in some way, the feelings that you have of reverence or adoration for that, that's your worship. We, we give worship to things that we value in some ways. And from a biblical perspective, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that worship isn't just when we come to church on a Sunday or when we sing songs as a group when we're in that church service. All that we do is to be an expression of worship. We live to worship God. You were created to worship. So everything that you do on your job, in your home, with your family, at your school, the things that you do, you have been designed for worship. So worship isn't just those few moments that we sing on a Sunday. Worship is everything that we do. So how do we get to a place in life where we have worship that is powerful? We're gonna look at this in Acts chapter 16 today. And what I wanna show you in this story is three things we learn about powerful worship. Today we're gonna to look at three things that we learn as we, as we look at this passage about powerful worship. Now the truth is, when you talk about worship, there have been books written, there have been theological studies done, there have been months and months worth of sermons that could be preached on this subject of worship. We're just gonna look at a, at a sliver of it from this story in Acts chapter 16 today. And I wanna show you three things we learn about powerful worship. Here's the first one, number one, Powerful worship focuses on our savior and not on our situation. When we worship in a way that is powerful, we focus on our savior and not just our situation. This is really important because oftentimes, even if I start with genuine worship and I begin to worship God, it can quickly come to a point where I'm thinking about myself and what I need him to do. It can be focused even on my own selfishness rather than focusing on how great he is. Does that make sense? We want his presence, not just his person. Here's the story. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, we, we looked at this before, and we won't go into all the details here, but this was a bad situation. They were in a really tough spot, and they hadn't even been doing anything wrong. 
They were just out there preaching. They were doing what God had dramatically called them to do. Now they're in a place where they faced demonic opposition. They faced human opposition. Now they've been treated unfairly and unjustly. They've been put into prison. They've been stripped, and then they've been beaten. Have you ever heard anybody use the, the term, like, like um, you, you know how to take your licks, like when you're getting beat? Have you ever heard that term? Like they know how to, to take their licks. Well, the person that would be used to beat someone with a rod in the Roman Empire in that time, they had been trained and they were called the lictor. And so that's where that term initially comes from. And they specifically knew just how to impose that pain and that punishment. And then as we talked about, they were put in this inner cell. Their feet were put in the stocks. This was a horrible situation. Verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I'll be honest. If I'm in prison after just getting beat up and I'm sitting there in total pain and all that filth, I don't know that a church service is the first thing I'd have in mind. Anybody? There's some Sundays I wake up that a church service isn't the first thing I have in mind. And I have to be here. So you've got this moment this painful, powerful moment, Acts chapter 16, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. That sounds like powerful worship, doesn't it? Something significant happened as they were worshiping. And I think it was this. For Paul and Silas, this wasn't just a desperation move. They weren't just doing it because they were desperate. They had hearts that worshiped God, and they knew to put their confidence and their trust in him no matter the situation. This was something that they had learned through what they'd been through. It was something that they had been taught by looking at God's word. We read this in the Psalm, Psalm 119.61, and watch the connection back to this story here. It says this, though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. Do you see the connection there? Like back to the Old Testament, though I am bound in prison, God, at midnight, I'm going to thank you for what you've done in my life. And so there's a powerful truth that we see here about worship. Now look, I'm sure they were inspired to seek God because of the desperate spot that they were in. But what we'll see in this story is their worship wasn't about their selfishness. It was about what God wanted to do. Worship is to be our default mode and not a desperation move. When we worship God, it should be our default mode. It should be who we are and not just a desperation move. Think of it in this way. Any of you ever have anything go wrong in your life? Anybody? Right, you know that? You ever seen these times where they're setting up these, like they do these world records, and, and sometimes they'll do them where they want to do the longest continual domino streak. Have you seen these things? Where they set up all these dominoes. I didn't know this. There's a way to do it with what's called mini dominoes. They're about the size of your fingernail. You have to set them up with tweezers. And so these folks in Germany decided that they're going to do this. 4,000 of them, they brought like 20 people in to do this, took them two weeks to set this whole thing up. This is no joke. Before they got it all set up, before it was all done, and they had this like certain time limit to get it all done, before they could get it all done, a fly came in, <laughs> landed on one of these fingernail dominoes, messed the whole thing up, and you thought you had a bad day. Right? And yet, 
how many times do I get all worked up because the little flies in my life knocked down everything I thought I had set up? Can I get an amen? <laughs> I mean, it happened to me just the other day. Like, I had these things that are running through my mind. Now, you don't do this, but you know somebody who does. It was just in my mind, and I kept thinking about it and thinking about it, and it bothered me, and it was worrisome, and it was going over and over and over in my mind. Raise your hand if you know someone like that. <laughs> yeah, right? So this is what's happening. The funny part is that's what mentally was going on. That's, my brain was just thinking through these same things I was upset about, I was bothered by them, I was worried about you know, all this stuff. That's what mentally I was doing. Physically, I was working on writing this sermon. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of said, hey, Chad, ever thought about practicing what you're preaching? <laughs> now might be a good moment for you to stop being so frustrated and bothered and upset by these things. Maybe now's a good moment for you to pray and put your focus on me instead. To come to this point where maybe you don't even want to be and to worship me. Why? Like, why, why do we even do this? And I think this is really important. Here's a, here's a phrase. Let's just unpack this for a few moments. That maybe we say, God, I will worship you because. Because if I'm saying, hey, worship is important, why do we do this? What difference does it make? Again, we could look at this from a ton of angles, but, but think of it from, from Paul and Silas's perspective as they're there in this prison cell in, in two different ways. What if we made this statement? Not, not just because of what we can get from God, but because of who he is. What if when we worshiped him, our mindset was, God, I will worship you because your will is greater than my will. God, I will worship you because your will, what you have in store for me, is greater than my will. Do you think sitting in that prison cell was a part of Paul's plan? Like, that's not what he wanted to do. I don't think he wanted to be there. And yet, this is the, the way that things happen. These are the steps that they took. And there's oftentimes when I'm in a situation that I don't like or I don't understand, and it may be a great moment for me to go, God, I don't get this. This is not my will. But I know that your will is greater than my will. So in this moment, I will worship you. Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. When you say amen to that, you don't like it so much when I say God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. <laughs> right? But it's the truth. The reality is his thoughts... His plan, his will is greater than our will. And there may be a moment where I have to choose to prioritize some things. Or say, instead of listening to that sad song that I keep playing in my mind or, or literally on the radio, maybe it's time for me to change that to a worship song that puts my focus back on God and who he is. To prioritize my time, to prioritize my thinking. There's, I don't know if this happens to you, but there's these moments where maybe something's going on around me. Maybe the TV's on in the background or maybe I'm in my car and I'm listening to some music, or I'm listening to a podcast, and something gets in my brain, and I'm trying to think about what's what, what, I'm, what I'm wrestling with my brain, and all the other music around me and stuff, I just have to hit the pause button because I need a moment where it's quiet. Anybody? You may be in a place in your life where it's time for you to hit the, the praise pause button, where you just stop for a minute, take a little praise pause, and say, God, I don't like this. This is not my will, but I worship you. I put this in your hands because even though I'm in this filthy prison, I know that your will is greater than my will. 
So I worship you. Here, let's take it one more step. Not only, God, I will worship you because your will is greater than my will, but God, I will worship you because your power is greater than my predicament. Your power is greater than my predicament. You ever seen, you ever seen those movies where somebody's in prison and yet one of those guys actually has the key to the door and nobody knows it, you know those kind of things? Silas didn't. He didn't have a key to those chains. Paul didn't know how they were gonna get out of there. They weren't praising God because they already had an escape plan that they were gonna try to pull off. They were just praising God because they knew, God, we're in a real predicament here. This is tough, but Lord, your power is greater than the predicament we find ourselves in. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 brings these two thoughts together. It says, God speaking here, and he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand. God says, my will is greater than your will. My plan is greater than your plan. And look at the second half. And I will do all that I please. You ever had a toddler say that to you? <laughs> I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. You say, that's cool until I lock you in your room, right? That's the, that's the way that works. You're not locking God in a room. When God says, I'll do whatever I please, he means I'll do whatever I please. Because there's no predicament that stops my power. And so God, if, if you have that kind of power, God, if you have that kind of greatness, then in that moment, I worship you because your power is greater than my predicament. Now this is important to think through because when things are going good, when you walk into church on a Sunday morning and the sun's shining and everything's good and you, you know you got a great lunch and you love your job and you're going on vacation, when everything's great, you praise the Lord. You're like, oh, you are good. You're good, God. You love it. But what if you're sitting in that prison cell? It's harder in that moment to say, God, your plan is greater than mine. Your will is greater than mine. Your power is greater than this prison cell. It's harder in that moment. And at some point, we have to say, God, I praise you because of who you are, not just because of where I find myself. We sing a song sometime around here called King of My Heart, and there's a line in there, in the bridge there, that says, you're never gonna let me down. You know that part? You're never gonna let me down. That's a powerful song to sing. I'm not so sure that's what Paul and Silas were singing. Lord, you're never gonna let me down, except for that time in prison. God, like, I don't think, I don't think that's what they were singing. But they could have. Because even if they were singing that, in that moment, what they were saying was, God, you're not letting me down because you didn't live this up to my expectation. When we praise God, it's about his character, not about my satisfaction. Does that make sense? And so I worship and I praise him because of who he is, even if in that moment it feels like I'm in a prison because his plan is still greater. His power is still greater, which takes us then to this passage in the Psalms that I think is so powerful because for some of you, you might be in this place. Psalm 73, there's this passage where the psalmist is just, when you read it, he is in despair. He is just frustrated. He is looking at his own life and the problems he has, and it looks like everybody else's life is perfect compared to his. Ever been there? And in the minute of that frustration, he clearly says that he was not thinking right because he was so focused on what was going on around him that he was missing out on everything else. He was down, he was upset, he was frustrated. Psalm 73, verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Can I get an amen? <laughs> verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. 
And then he goes on and he talks about who God is in that passage. And what he says is this, when I was trying to figure it out on my own, it was just oppressive to me until I got into God's sanctuary, until I came to a place of worship, until I counted his presence and realized his will was greater, his power was greater, and then, then I understood, he says. Worship changes things. Worship is powerful when we take a moment and realize that we're focusing on our Savior and not just on our situation. Which leads us to the second thing that we see in this passage about powerful worship. Here's number two. Powerful worship, number two, is often corporate worship. Powerful worship is often corporate worship. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Remember this. The book of Acts was written by Luke. We'll talk about Luke a little bit more here in a couple of weeks. Luke was the historian that gave us this book. And Luke, as we read his writings, we can see he was very deliberate about what he wrote. If he put a detail in there, it was in there because we should pay attention to it and think about it. And look at this. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. That just seems like a random detail, and the other prisoners were listening to them. But if that's in there, it's important. For some reason, the fact that others were listening was very significant. It had impact on this whole story. Their praise was not just Paul and Silas over in a corner having a little private prayer retreat. They were singing in such a way so that people around them could hear them and it impacted them through that corporate public worship. Now look, there are times for personal worship. You see it in, in scripture in the life of Daniel, in Acts, in, in the life of Peter, that there's times, and I hope you will, will do this in your life, that you'll take times with just you and God's word, maybe some music, or maybe you even, you even get away for, for a, a few hours or a season of time, and you say, God, I just need to spend some time with you. But there is also real power in our moments of corporate worship. Watch what happens next. Acts chapter 16, verse 27. It says, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Here's, here's the deal. This jailer, if those prisoners had escaped, he would be executed. And he would rather take care of that himself than go through what they would put him through. Does that make sense? So he was in big trouble. So it says that he was going to take care of it himself, verse 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This jailer got his world rocked, didn't he? This is 180 degrees. At the beginning of this, he's the one that's putting them in the torture devices. He's the one putting them in the inner cell. And now he's coming to them, falling before them and saying, guys, what do I do to save my life in this situation? That corporate worship, the fact that he had heard them praising God, the fact that that, that had happened in that place, it impacted people. Why does corporate worship, and let's just say a moment like this, when we come together and we worship God in one place, why does it have such impact? Well, here's one reason. Your faith strengthens mine. Your faith strengthens my faith. When I hear you sing, when I hear you pray, 
When I watch you speak words of faith, there's something powerful that happens. Some of the most significant leadership moments that I think I've had in in my role at Calvary have been times with our deacon board when we've been praying together. And there's been these moments, sometimes in some pretty desperate places, where one of the leaders on our board will begin to pray, and as they pray, I hear their faith, and when I hear their faith, do you know what happens to my faith? It's strengthened. There, There is something powerful in that corporate togetherness and trust and expectation and faith that makes us all better. Now look, what I'm about to say may not be wise. The truth is it could be somewhat divisive, it could cause some of you to think of me a little bit differently, but I feel like this is helpful for us as we walk this through. My whole life, I've been a pretty serious Pittsburgh Steelers fan. (laughs) Grew up kind of over in the Youngstown Warren area, and so that, oh, you'll be all right. And so, and so that's, that's just kind of, so, so from time to time, we've been able to go to some of the games, and it's a cool experience, and we've been to some at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, and that's, that's just a rush, and we've gone to a few in, 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 in other stadiums. We've gone to some away games, which is kind of a unique situation, because you're walking in, and you're black and gold, and you quickly realize you're not welcome there. <laughs> and I won't mention what team, but Evan and I went to one last fall, and these fans were just, like the people we were around anyways, they were just nasty. They were just, they were just, you can't just call out cities. You can't just do that. And so, and, and so they were just, they were just, and uh, to be quite honest, there are a few moments where I was just like, I feel kind of uncomfortable here. This is kind of weird. I mean, all we did was come in here to beat you. What are you so upset about, you know? And so, so like, this is happening. And then there's this moment where there's this intensity, where there's this, 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 this tension and the Pittsburgh fans, if you're not familiar with this with Steeler Nation, they, and, and I'm gonna use some words here in just kind of a loose way, there's these moments where, they, where the Steelers fans enter into an act of worship. And when they do, <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with this, this is what's called a terrible towel, and what they'll do is they'll take their terrible towels and they'll start doing like a little, I don't praise dance or something, right, you know? And so, and there's these moments, and here's what happens, true story, here's what happens, that in this moment where I'm feeling all this kind of, ooh, do I belong here, all this tension stuff, all of a sudden, there's all these other people around me who I realize, hey, I'm not alone, right? And I got my towel out, and I started, you know, worshiping, right? And so, in that moment, because here's the deal, I knew that in that moment, I wasn't alone. My courage, my strength was built up in that moment of victory in that time because I knew that there were others around me who shared that same. Does that, does that analogy make sense? I know it makes some of you mad, but does it make sense? Here's, here's why. Because when I'm alone, it's one thing. But when we share that moment of faith or trust or strength together, it makes us better in those times. Now, here's why I mention this. Because we can have a tendency to miss that part of when we come here on a Sunday. Because when I'm around you, it strengthens my faith. It builds me up. Because even if I'm in a place where I feel like I'm going through life as an outsider, when I realize that there are other people that share my same convictions and trust in Jesus Christ, it builds me up. That's the reason why I don't want you to come in here and miss out on what could happen. Last week we said you will either worship or be critical of those who do. And if you come in here with a critical spirit, you miss out on the strength that God might want to bring to you through those moments. Does that make sense? It's why we sing together. It's why we we share praise together. It's why we talk about the good things that God has done. I I know some of you may have grown up in a setting like this or or been in like a Bible study or something where 
a part of the actual experience is to take some time and say, hey, any, anybody got something you wanna share about what God has done in your life? Anybody remember like a good old-fashioned testimony service? Do you, do you know what I mean? And like on a, on a Sunday like this with the three services and, and size of, of the, 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 the congregation, we don't really have a chance to do that kind of thing. But what if, what if we were to make it kind of our own little practice that when we see somebody, after a, a week away, we would come back on Sunday, what if instead of saying, hey, what did you do this week? What if instead we asked each other and say, hey, what did God do this week? Or guess what God did in my life this week? And began to share with one another the things that we have seen God do at work in our lives. I could take time and show you from just the last seven days some places that God did some things in my life that I thought, man, God, I thought that would take a lot longer and I thought it would be a lot more difficult and you worked that out. God, you made that happen in my life. And if we shared those with each other, how much would that help us to encourage each other's faith? That's an act of worship. Let, let me take worship kind of one more step for us as a congregation. Like just a few moments ago, we stood up here with Pastor John and Emily and their family and prayed over them as they make this season of transition. Now what some of you might not realize is, is Pastor John's the person that, that has been leading us in, in those moments of musical worship, which is really so important for our congregation. And for a lot of us, especially if you're new to the church, you're like, okay, what do you do? Because you lost the person that's leading. And if you've been around church for some time, you know that's a process that from time to time the church goes through, those transitions in leadership. Now we are, we're in a great place because we have a really gifted group of leaders who are gonna continue to lead us through this time. We have a, we have a great team. And for some of us, we might go, what do we do? We don't have a leader. How do we do this? And, and what about that team that's up there? And all this kind of thing. The deal is this. Don't make your worship depend on the people that are up here. Your worship is something you give no matter what. And, and this, this might be a good thing to write down in your notes. Here's the truth. We are all the worship team. Like when we come in here, we're all together, worshiping God together, looking to him. And that's not just in here. Like your worship can have impact in so many different ways. And your worship isn't just what you sing. It's how you live. So when you choose to make the right decision on the job, when you reach out to somebody in school that you just feel like God wants you to encourage in some way, when you take a moment and do the thing of honor and integrity instead of the thing of convenience or, or selfishness, all those things, all those moments are acts of worship. You're worshiping God even if you don't have the words or music to back it up in that moment. And those make a huge difference. Think about this. There was this moment when the earthquake happened in Philippi. You got Paul and Silas in prison and the chains fall off and the doors fly open and the jailer comes in and he's ready to fall on his sword and Paul cries something out. I think if it had been me, I know what I would have cried out in the Greek language, the words would have been, see ya, right? That's what I would have done. I'm out of here. Not Paul and Silas. Paul says, whoa, 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 time out, don't hurt yourself. We're all right here. Because Paul's concern in that moment wasn't for what he wanted, it was for what God wanted. And he knew that there could be something powerful that God could do through Paul's worship. It wasn't just for Paul. Your worship may lead to a desperate person's deliverance. When God works through you, as you worship God and other people see him at work in your life, in those times, just like it was for this jailer, your worship, your willingness to serve God might actually lead to another desperate person's deliverance. And how many know there's some pretty desperate people out there? The vast majority of them, you've never guessed. If you'd have told me the day before that this centurion, that this jailer could have his heart changed, 
I just said, mm, I'm not so sure about that. And then in a moment, God brought him to a point through powerful worship that leads us to the third thing I want you to see, number three. Powerful worship changes lives. Powerful worship changes lives. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Let's read kind of the, the rest of the story. Remember the jailer says, hey, guys, how, how can I be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Look, when we worship, there's a powerful thing that God can do that changes our lives. And here's, let's start here. Worship changes us more than it changes our situation. I mean, every time you worship, you might not immediately see the chains fall off and the doors fly open. But I can tell you this, sometimes the greater miracle is what it does inside my heart and heart. Anybody? And allowing God to bring that change to my life. Because in that moment, I give him the opportunity. What can he do? Well, just go back to this passage. Miracles happen when we worship. When you worship, you put yourself in a place for God to do miracles in your life. As they worship, there was this earthquake and God did something miraculous. Now, I've never worshiped and then felt the ground shake, but I put my trust in God and then watched the world change. Anybody? And watch him come and step into a situation because I was willing in that moment to say, God, I can't do it, but I put my trust in you. And there may be some of you that know what it's like to look for a miracle. Odds are, it may be that some of you right now today in this room or watching on a screen somewhere, you are looking for a miracle. And I want to encourage you, it may be time to stop looking at your need and start looking to the one who can meet it. And get your eyes off the fact that you're in this prison and start worshiping the one who's able to cause the jailbreak that can step in because miracles happen when we worship. Let's take that one more step. Not only do miracles happen when we worship, but people are set free when we worship. Now, I don't wanna take this analogy too far, but I think God gave us this story for a reason. We saw that physically there were doors that were open and chains that came loose when Paul and Silas were worshiping him. And I believe that those same physical limitations can be broken free in the spiritual world in our lives as well. That there may be, and, and you might even come in here today and, and go, I, I, I can almost tell you, I, I feel like there's some chains in my life. Chains of unforgiveness, or chains of fear, or of debt, or of doubt. Chains of anger, or depression, of jealousy, or uncertainty. That when you come to a moment and you worship God, you can in that moment sense and know that God is breaking those chains. He's moving things forward. And I know that what happens in a moment might not totally change your situation, but it gives you the opportunity to see him at work in our lives. It's a beautiful thing that when we worship him, miracles happen and people are set free. Here's another thing we see in this story, that conviction comes when we worship. Oh, that was a little bit of a curveball. I was real happy about miracles and people set free. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Conviction, not so much. But here's what happened. Paul and Silas prayed and worshiped. And that jailer heard a, a gospel presentation through all of that. And when the earthquake came with the altar call, he saw what he needed. And he responded to that. 
Sometimes what I need is an opportunity to see what needs to change in my life. And when I come to him in worship, I find that. We could go, as, as school was starting on the, the, the road that kind of leads down to where we live, they had one of those machines out there that, that have the LED display and then tell you how fast you're going as you drive by. Do you know what I mean? Just to kind of remind you. It's too bad because I'm pretty sure it was broke when I drove by. Um, there's no way I was going that fast. <laughs> I drive that road every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And it was good for me to be reminded. It was, like, was kind of like this in your face of, oh, yeah, that's, that's my speed, but not the speed limit. <laughs> like, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to drive different than that. And I needed a reminder from somebody who actually had the authority to show it to me that there was something that needed to change in my life. And sometimes in worship, it gives God a chance to get our attention and say, hey, do you see how fast you're going? It might be time to change something up here. That's what happened to this Philippian jailer. And he would say, well, Chad, these things don't seem to go together very well. This idea of miracles and conviction at the same time, how can that happen at the same time? How can a God who loves me so much and wants to do the miraculous at the same time try to point out what's wrong in my life? Man, I think we think of it the wrong way. Romans chapter two, verse four, look at this. It says, speaking of God, or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. In those moments of conviction, it's not because he's trying to bust you. It's because he's trying to save you. And that happens in worship. Also, here, here's another thought. Lives are transformed when we worship. We read here about how this jailer's whole household was changed. When we worship, there's the potential in those moments for God to change situations, to change our hearts. As we worship God, he changes us, he changes others, and we see this too, that joy is found when we worship. It says in that passage that the jailer and his whole family were filled with joy. That word for joy isn't just, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, or I'm happy, or hey, this, this, I'm pretty optimistic about this. It's about a deep spiritual joy. It's about a deep spiritual experience and contentment. And there was something powerful that happened, and it started when they worshiped. When they were willing to say, we're not just going to look at this prison situation, but we're going to look at our Savior who changes everything. And in this moment, as we look to him, we're going to trust him. We're going to put our confidence and our hope in him. We are going to believe that corporately, as we sing praise to God, he can change things and he can make a difference. They found joy in that and their lives were changed. Here's the reason why. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That's why we seek his presence, not his power. Because what I want is not just what he can do for me. It's when I'm with him. It's the spirit of the Lord that brings us freedom in those times and makes a change in our lives. Anybody remember the story we told last week about the hamster that ate the refrigerator magnet? Anybody remember that? If you weren't here last week, um, I told this story about something I'm not going to tell you now. And so you missed it. It's littlecalvary.org. And, uh, and, and that's how that works. Quickly has become, I think, one of my all-time favorites of all time. And then today, as I was thinking about today's message, this, this other story that, that for years has, for whatever reason, been kind of one of my, I don't know, favorite stories. 
came to mind as well. It's about a spy who was captured in the Middle East. And he had to stand before a Persian general. And in a moment like that, a spy would be executed. And this general had this kind of strange, bizarre custom that he would have, where when he would call someone forward who was facing execution, he would in that moment literally give them a choice. He would say to them, you have a choice. You, you have been sentenced to execution because of what you have done. You can choose. You can face the firing squad or you can face the black door. And he had done this over and over again. And one day this spy that was captured came in front of him and he'd known his choice. And so he stood before the general and the general looked at him and said, well, it's time for you to choose. Which, which do you want? You can either go and face the firing squad or you can pass through the black door. And the spy stood there and he thought for a few moments. Finally, he looked up at the general and he said, I'll take the firing squad. And they took him outside. A few minutes later, you could hear the the volley of the guns and he'd met his his grim fate. And in that moment, the general just kind of stopped and looked down at his boots. His aide was standing there. And the general's aide said, "What, what just happened there? And the general said, you know, that's just the way it is with men. He said, they will always pick the the known thing, the comfortable thing, the familiar thing over the unknown. And the aide asked the general and said, well, general, what's on the other side of that black door? And the general just looked up at him and said, freedom. And I've only known a few men who were brave enough to choose it. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But you and I have to be willing to put ourselves in a place of surrender. You and I have to be willing to put ourselves in a place where we're not looking to self, but where we're looking to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. You and I have to be willing to say, God, I want your spirit and your presence more than I want what I want. For some of us, it might be a physical step of faith to say today, God, I'm going I'm to extend myself in worship, maybe in a way like I never have before, and choose not to be critical or self-focused, but God, I'm going to worship you so that his spirit can be there, for the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. For some of us, it's not how we worship right now, but it's how you live your life in worship as you step out of here and go into your week and allow God to be at work in your life and and move through you and in your life. And who knows what desperate person might find deliverance because of your life of worship. And so the best thing that we can do today is to take some time and invite the spirit of the Lord to be here to bring that freedom as we worship him. So can I invite you to stand with me if you would, please? And as you do, if, if you're comfortable, and again, this might be a bit of a stretch for you, but would you just lift your hands to the Lord? And maybe in your own heart, would you just begin to worship him? Say, God, I thank you for who you are, not just for what you do. God, I focus on you as my savior and not just my situation. Lord, we ask that in these moments of praise, as we sing songs to you, as we corporately worship you together, God, would you strengthen our faith? God, would you encourage us in these moments? Would you allow us to sense and know that you are the one who works miracles and sets us free? Spirit, would you help us to see your hand at work in our lives? God, may we know the transformation and joy that only you can bring. Spirit, would you allow your presence that brings freedom to be here as we worship you together today? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your presence, the peace that
we do give you praise. Lord, thank you that as we corporately lift our voices here today, we are reminded we are your children. Whatever it is we're facing, you split the way right through that, and so we trust you. We put our confidence in you because we know that your will is greater than ours. Your power is greater than whatever we're facing. We put our hope in you as our Savior and not just our situation. We worship you today, believing that when we do, we're going to see miracles. We're going to see freedom. We're going to see lives changed as we worship you. Lord, may our week be marked with moments of worship. May we take those, those times to pause and praise you. So we give you all the glory and all the praise today in Jesus' name. One more time, can we just praise him today, God? We praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you again so much for being with us. I hope you'll stop in the atrium, greet the Ketchum family today. Go in his special favor and wonderful peace. We'll see you next week.